And please turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. I'm sorry, Romans chapter 15, verse 8. <laughs> We're not going all the way back. Chapter 15, verse 8 through 13 is our passage for tonight. But actually, I will take you back in Romans because I do want to trace a theme in Romans that leads up to our passage uh, tonight. Throughout Romans, uh, we have seen God's purpose to save both Jews and Gentiles. I'll turn back to chapter 1. Chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading at verse 5. Romans 1 verse 5. Through whom, that is through Jesus Christ our Lord, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Paul was called to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of Christ's name among all the nations. So he was taking the gospel up further and further uh, to the nations, as Christ called him to do. And the rest of the apostles were doing the same. The church was doing the same. Go down to verse 13. Verse 13, I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Greek there being used in the sense of Gentile. There's a priority upon the Jew. The gospel would go first to the Jew, but then it would go to the Gentile. And the gospel is God's salvation for, uh, is the power of God for salvation to both the Jew and the Gentile who believes. I go forward to chapter 3, verse 29. Romans chapter 3, verse 29. Continuing to see God's purpose to save both Jews and Gentiles. Verse 29, Paul has been speaking about justification by grace on the basis of Christ's work at the cross. Verse 29, or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith, and the uncircumcised through faith. One way of salvation for both Jew and Gentile. Not by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Go forward to chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 11. Verse 11, Paul is speaking about Abraham. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, that's the Gentiles who believe, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So God ordered things so that Abraham would be the spiritual father, 
of both the Jew who believes and the Gentile who believes. Go down to verse 16. 16. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, that is, both believing Jew and believing Gentile. 17. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. So Paul goes all the way back to Abraham, and the promises that God made to Abraham. Uh, to show God's purpose to save both Jews and Gentiles. Then go forward to chapter 10. Chapter 10, verse 11. In chapter 10, Paul is speaking about the necessity of the proclamation of the gospel. In verse 11, he says, For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, that, who, that is, who believes in Christ will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So just as we saw earlier, one way of salvation, both the Jew and the Gentile need to hear the gospel, because for both, salvation is through faith in that gospel, the gospel of Christ. Then go forward to chapter 11. Chapter 11, verse 11. Verse 11, Paul says, So I asked, did they stumble in order that they might fall? Speaking of the Jews. Was this that they might fall? Here he's speaking about God's plan for the salvation of people throughout history with both the Jews and the Gentiles. And God's focus at different points in history. Did I... So I asked, did the Jews stumble in order that they might fall? By no means, rather through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? So, the gospel came first to the Jew with the coming of Christ. Then there was a, a shift in focus to the Gentiles, and in the future, there will be the salvation of all Israel. Go on to verse 17. Verse 17, what if some of the branches were broken off, that would be the unbelieving Jews, and you, although a wild olive shoot were grafted in among the others, that's believing Gentiles, and now share the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. So Gentile believers are not to be arrogant towards the Jewish branches that were broken off. If you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. It's a Jewish root that supports the Gentile believer. Go down to verse 28. Verse 28. As regards the gospel, they, that is unbelieving Jews, are enemies of God for your sake. But, as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so too they have now been disobedient, in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. 
For God has consigned all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. So there in chapter 11, that how God has worked in history, there's been a, a change in focus at different stages, but it's all one part of a, a big overarching plan for the salvation of both Jews and Gentiles. So we see that throughout Romans. God's purpose to save both Jews and Gentiles. In chapter 14, verse 1, through chapter 15, verse 7, Paul instructed believers not to quarrel about issues of Christian liberty that could be contentious between Jewish believers and Gentile believers, but rather to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us, to accept one another as Christ has accepted us. And Paul was bringing that section to a conclusion in chapter 15, verses 5 through 6, when he prayed for harmony in the church, including harmony between Jewish and Gentile believers. I want you to look at chapter 15, verses 5 and 6. Chapter 15, verses 5 and 6, and see this prayer uh, of the Apostle Paul, because it's closely connected to the verses that we will see tonight. In verse 5, he prayed, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a church that is composed of both Jewish believers and Gentile believers. And Paul's prayer is that the God of endurance and encouragement would grant them to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ, that together they would with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in our text, verses 8 through 13, the apostle grounds this prayer that we just read in the work of Christ and the Old Testament scriptures, reinforcing his exhortation that he has given to Jewish and Gentile believers. And then he concludes with a glorious benediction. The verses that we will study tonight remind us of what is of great importance in the Christian life. I'm going to read to us verses 8 through 13. Please stand in honor of the word of God if you are able. Romans 15, verse 8. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy, and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. This is God's holy word. Please be seated. I have a question that I put in the bulletin for discussion. What do these verses that we just read have to do with the unity that Paul spoke of in verses 5 through 7? 
what do these verses that we just read have to do with the unity that Paul spoke of in verses 5 through 7? Francis. Absolutely. So those quotations from the Old Testament were passages that spoke of God's purpose uh, to save Gentiles along with the Jews. Let me add to that. Oh. What is it mm-hmm. uh, there was a hostility between Jew and Gentile um, when, when Christ came, uh, but then the gospel brings Jew and Gentile together and reconciles Jew and Gentile in, in one body that's reconciled to God. Others. Look at the, what Paul prayed in verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And then we have our, our text. Any, any further thoughts? Pardon me? All right. Huh? Francis? So God, God is bringing glory to Himself as He brings Jew and Gentile together to to together in one body to wor- worship the Lord. And the passages that we, we looked at had to do with glorifying the Lord. Dorian, so I say also these quotations from the Old Testament show that this is not a new idea mm-hmm. that God always had the intention of all nations glorifying. And so because that's always been his intention, he would he it's by his spirit and he is the one who would have to grant the ability for us to live in harmony. Um, and and also the one who would have to grant the ability for us to um, to be able to together with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so um, it 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 is not something um, that's new or novel, um, but it is something that has always been a part of, uh, part of the So the Old Testament quotations show that this has always been a part of God's plan. 
It's not new now that, that Christ right. has come, right. now, now that the church has been formed, right. now that the gospel is going forth. Pavan. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, that, that divide between the Jew and the Gentile is bridged in the gospel of Christ. And we will see even more as we continue uh, to study this passage uh, together. Uh, we see, first of all, in verses 8 through 9a, Christ's purpose regarding Jews and Gentiles. Look closely at verse 8. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised. The circumcised are the Jews. So it's saying Christ became a servant to the Jews. Think of the priority uh, that Christ put upon the Jews uh, in his earthly ministry. In Matthew 15, 24, uh, Jesus answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He came to his own people. He came to Israel as the Messiah that had been promised to Israel, as the Savior that had been promised to Israel. Christ became a servant to the circumcised. That he became a servant relates back to what was said in verses 2 and 3. In verse 2, we were exhorted, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Verse 3, for Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Christ came as a servant. Uh, to offer his body as a sacrifice for sinners. Uh, we see here in verse 8, I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised. And Christ's purpose is stated in the second half of verse 8 and in the first half of verse 9. The second half of verse 8, became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. So this is the purpose of Christ becoming a servant to the circumcised. Uh, Christ came to confirm God's promises to Israel's fathers uh, by coming to the Jews, proclaiming the gospel of God, dying on the cross, and rising from the dead just as God had promised throughout the Old Testament. But Christ's purpose did not stop with the Jews, for Paul says in this in verse 9, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Christ's Jewish disciples were to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And you see that happening in the book of, of Acts. Uh, first the gospel comes to the Jews who are gathered in Jerusalem, but then it goes forth from there uh, to the Samaritans, and then it goes to the Gentiles. We see the gospel go to Cornelius and uh, his household, and then beyond to Antioch, and then to, to other Gentile lands beyond that. Christ's Jewish disciples were t- to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Christ's purpose in uh, becoming a servant to the circumcision included 
the Gentiles receiving God's saving mercy. And then the Gentiles glorifying God for this mercy. Now what Paul says here in verse 9 about this purpose, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, relates back to that prayer in verses 5 and 6. Verse 5, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul prayed that the believers in the church in Rome would with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's showing us in verse 9 that this is part of the purpose of Christ coming in his first coming. He came, he became a servant to the circumcised in order that the Gentiles might glorify God, might glorify God for his mercy to them in salvation. However, Jewish and Gentile believers glorifying God together with one voice is not just the fulfillment of Christ's purpose. It was spoken of in the Old Testament scriptures. Before Christ came, it was spoken of as part of God's purpose. And so in the majority of our text, we have the testimony of the Old Testament scriptures. We see that in verse 9b through verse 12. Here Paul gives four quotations from the Old Testament, and each quotation contains the word Gentiles. That's the key word in the quotations. Paul arranges these quotations in a logical order, as we will see. Let's look at the first quotation. We find it in the second half of verse 9. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. This is a quotation from Psalm 18, verse 49, the psalm that David wrote uh, in which he praised God for delivering David. And uh, at almost the end of this psalm of thanksgiving, uh, David pens these words, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. In context, the idea is that the Lord will be praised for his salvation. I will praise you as the Savior. I will praise your salvation among the Gentiles and sing to your name. So we see here in this first quotation that the Jewish psalmist will praise God in the midst of the listening Gentiles. The second quotation comes in verse 10. And again, it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Now this is a quotation from Deuteronomy, chapter 32, verse 43. This is at the conclusion to the Song of Moses, a song which revealed God's future dealings with Israel and the Gentiles. Now, if you were to go back in your ESV to Deuteronomy 32.43, you would find that it's worded very differently than how Paul quotes it uh, here in Romans 15. Uh, the ESV, there in that verse in Deuteronomy, follows the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Septuagint. However, Deuteronomy 32.43 in the New American Standard is the same as Paul's quotation here in Romans 15, 
because the New American Standard in Deuteronomy followed the Masoretic text. We, we talked a lot about the Masoretic text and the Septuagint, um, the Dead Sea Scrolls in our Sunday school class on the history of the Bible. Um, but what is important here um, is to see how Paul quotes it, that he's, in his quotation, he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. So here in the Song of Moses, the song is calling upon the Gentiles to rejoice in God together with Israel. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Who is his people? It's Israel. With Israel. All the way back in the fifth book of the Old Testament, this purpose of God was revealed that he would be um, praised by Gentiles and by Jews, that they together would rejoice, that is, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoicing in the Lord is another way of speaking of praising the Lord. When we praise the Lord, we're rejoicing verb, uh, out loud. Um, we're, we're voicing... Um, we, 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 I'm sorry, when we praise the Lord, we are rejoicing in, in, in the Lord. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Calling upon the Gentiles to rejoice in God together with Israel. The third quotation is in verse 11. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. There's a quotation from Psalm 117, verse 1. That's half the psalm. Because the psalm is only two verses. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. Calling upon all the Gentiles, literally nations. That's what the, the word Gentile literally means, is nations. But again and again, when the Old Testament spoke about the nations, it was the, it was not Israel. It was speaking to Israel about the other nations, the Gentiles. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. And let all the peoples, people groups, these are the Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol you. The psalm calls upon all the Gentiles. You see that word in both lines. All you Gentiles, all the peoples. Calls upon all the Gentiles to praise God. The fourth quotation comes in verse 12. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come. Who is the root of Jesse? Titus. David was not the root of Jesse. He was the son of Jesse, but here, this prophecy of the root of Jesse, let's see what it says about the root of Jesse. The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. Who is the root of Jesse? Enoch. Jesus Christ is the root of Jesse. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. The quotation from Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10. Now, again, if you go back and look at the ESV of Isaiah 11.10, you'll find it is somewhat different. Um, the ESV follows the Masoretic text there. Here, Paul uh, is following the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. It's a little bit different. What's important is what Paul says in his quotation, 
the root of Jesse will come. Previously, in Isaiah 11, uh, it was said that a, um, a branch would come forth from the stump of Jesse. Uh, David was the son of Jesse. God promised uh, to make uh, the descendants of David to sit on the throne perpetually. God blessed the house of David and promised a special descendant in the house of David. It would be the son of David. It would be Christ. And the prophecy was that the this branch would come forth from the stump of Jesse. The house of David would be cut down in God's judgment that happened before Jesus came. Think about what happened at the time of the Babylonian exile. God judged the house of David. The house of David was cut down to a stump. But the prophecy in Isaiah 11 is that a shoot or a branch will come forth from that stump. There will be a special descendant of David. And he will sit on the throne. And he will rule. And we see here in this prophecy, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. So he not only will rule over Israel, that, that was understood, he would rule over Israel, but he won't only rule over Israel, he will also rule over the Gentiles. Gentiles will be included in his kingdom. The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. Prophecy that the Gentiles would hope in Christ. So, the significance of this quotation is that the Gentiles will be included in Christ's kingdom and will hope in Christ. Now, we have four quotations from the Old Testament that come from all three major divisions of the Hebrew Bible. The Hebrew Bible was divided into three sections. You see that in the Gospels, in the way that Jesus speaks sometimes of the Old Testament scriptures. You use a threefold division. Um, you had... The law, that was the law of Moses, the first five books. We had a quotation from the law, and that quotation from Deuteronomy. Uh, the second division in the Hebrew uh, Bible uh, was the prophets. And we had that quotation from Isaiah, part of the prophets. And then the third part was the writings, which began with the book of Psalms. And we had two quotations from Psalms. So Paul is quoting from all three major sections of the Old Testament, Showing God's purpose that the Jews and the Gentiles would praise God's name together. But together as God's redeemed ones, with one voice would glorify God. Now, what terms in the quotations are synonymous for glorifying God with our voices? Remember, Paul had prayed that the church would glorify God with one voice. Look through these four quotations. What terms are synonymous for glorifying God with our voices? Debbie. Praise. Praise. And which verse do you see that in? Verse 9. Therefore I will praise you among the nations. 
Another term. Caleb. Sing. Sing. The same verse. And sing to your name. Singing to God's name. Another term. Uh, Francis. Extol. And which verse do you see that in? 11. The second line. Let all the peoples extol him. And the line before that repeated that word uh, praise that we saw in verse 9. Another term. Titus. Verse 10, rejoice. It's rejoicing in the Lord. And I think that that covers it. So we have all these different terms. And actually, in Greek and also in, in, in Hebrew, um, the word praise in verse 9 is a different word than the word praise in verse 11. There many different terms uh, that are all synonymous with what Paul spoke of back in verses 5 and 6, glorifying God with our voice. At the heart of the Christian life is praising God together with the church. This praise that Paul is speaking of comes from each heart. A heart that has been redeemed. A heart uh, that has received the grace and the mercy of God. This praise comes from each heart. It's not just the, the, the praise that would have come from the lips of the Pharisees who really had no part in Christ because they rejected Christ. There, there was an outward religiosity in Jesus' day. Um, that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about the praise of the redeemed. This is talking about praise that comes to God from the heart. Understand that praise is not simply preliminary to preaching in the worship service. Yeah, yes, the central part of the worship service is the preaching of the Word of God. That the highest form of worship is to hear the Word of God and to respond in obedience to the Word of God. But that does not mean that our singing praise to God in the first half of the service is just preliminary to the preaching. Praise is at the heart of worship. God requires praise. He redeems us so that we will praise Him. Praise pleases God. This praise to God from the nations is the purpose of missions. The subject that Paul will take up in the rest of this chapter. All these quotations talk about God being praised by the Gentiles, by the nations. And that's what he's going to go into. He gives personal, uh, he speaks very personally with the Roman church about his missionary work. And he seeks to bring the Roman church along in supporting that work of taking the gospel to the nations. Why do we take the gospel to the nations? Why do we do missions? So that God will be praised by every tongue, tribe, and nation. Praise to God is the purpose of missions. Praise to God is something that will go on for all of eternity. You know, missions is temporary. Uh, in the eternal state, there will be no more missions. But praise will go on forever and ever 
in the eternal state. Missions exist for the purpose of people being redeemed to then sound forth the praises of God. We have to ask ourselves, what place does praising God have in our lives? Paul had prayed that the church would glorify God with one voice. Now he's shown us, he has shown us um, Christ's purpose in coming included that the Gentiles would glorify God for his mercy, that they praise him for his mercy. Now we've had four quotations from the Old Testament showing this is God's purpose all along in redemptive history is that the Gentiles, along with the Jews, would praise God. So we have to ask ourselves, what place does praising God have in our lives? Uh, We've studied wonderful truths in the book of Romans, wonderful doctrine, wonderful gospel truths about what God has done for us, what he has done for our salvation, what he is doing in sanctifying us, what he has in store for us in glory. And now that Paul is getting towards the end of the book, he moves from doctrine to doxology. Doxology is is worship. It's praise to God. This is what the doctrine should move us to do. Doctrine should move us to praise, to to praise God, to extol Him, to rejoice in Him. So what place does praising God have in our lives? May the Lord give us His grace to grow in praising him. Well, that leads right into the benediction in verse 13. Paul gave that quotation in verse 12 from Isaiah that said, In Christ will the Gentiles hope. And that word hope now leads into this benediction. Look at verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. This benediction concludes the body of the epistle. The body of the epistle began in Romans chapter 1, verse 18. And now Paul concludes the body with this benediction. What follows is a more of a more personal nature as he closes out the book. What is a benediction? A benediction um, is a, a blessing. Typically, when we use the word benediction, we think of a blessing that's given at the end of a worship service. But a benediction is a, a blessing. What is a blessing? A blessing is a prayer. We're asking God for his blessing. We're asking God to bless others. Here the benediction is, the prayer is, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. This wonderful benediction brings together some of the epistle's themes. God here is spoken of as the God of hope, meaning that he is the source of our hope, and that he is the object of our hope. God has given us this hope, and ultimately is a hope in Him. May the God of hope. Hope is something that Paul has taught on, starting in chapter 5. Actually going back to chapter 4 with, with Abraham. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. This joy is joy in the Lord. This peace is peace of mind. 
we have an objective peace with God because Christ has reconciled us to God, making peace. When we were justified, uh, we were placed into right relationship with God. Uh, we were given peace with God. That that uh, standing of being at peace with God cannot be improved upon. But for those who have this peace with God, there is also a peace gives through the Holy Spirit. Um, that that is to to grow within us, and it is this peace for which the apostle prays. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace, peace of mind, in believing. Notice that joy and peace are connected to believing. Uh, to believe to believe is to exercise faith. And there's been much in this epistle about faith. We see here that joy and peace are byproducts of faith. Back in chapter 14, verse 17, Paul said that the kingdom of God is about these things. Look back at chapter 14, verse 17. I'm talking about what's of real importance that we're to focus on. He says in verse 17, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So you see there that coupling of peace and joy. And now Paul comes back to it in our text in verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope. Hope is forward-looking. Faith typically looks back. Faith looks back to the promise that God has made. Faith is believing God. It's trusting Christ. In saving faith, we look back to what Christ did for our salvation. We trust in Him as our Savior and Lord. Hope, by definition, is forward-looking. Looking. Hope is confident, eager expectation that God will fulfill his promises to us. And Paul has taught about hope in this epistle. Now, how does hope relate back to verse 8? Back to verse 8. How does hope relate to verse 8? Titus? Okay, so Christ's death was in mind there in verse 8. And his death gives us hope. What, what else can we add to that? No? That's part of our the, the Christian's hope. We, we, we're, we're hoping for Christ's return. We look forward to that with confident, eager expectation. But looking at verse 8, how does verse 8 relate to hope? Uh, Don and then Francis? Francis? Alright. So, the promises, how are the promises, how are the promises been confirmed? By Christ. Alright, Christ came and he confirmed the promises. He fulfilled promises that God had made. Alright. So, knowing that Christ came in fulfillment of God's promises. We can have hope as believers in Christ that he will fulfill 
the promises that are made to us that are yet to be fulfilled. Because he fulfilled the promises in the past, he will fulfill the promises for the future. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may not just have hope, but may abound in hope. Abound in this confident, eager expectation that God will fulfill his promises to us. And what are some of these promises that he will fulfill to us? Is that Robert The glorious kingdom. We'll have a place in Christ's glorious kingdom. He's made us citizens. We have an inheritance in his kingdom. Caleb. Jesus will come again and he will make all things new. Liz. When we see Christ, we will be like him. We'll be glorified with him. Francis. We will finish the good work that he's begun in us. Brian. He will continue to serve as our advocate. Romans 8.28 For those who love God, who are called according to his purpose, God causes all things to work together for good. He will fulfill that to us. It's part of our hope. My grace will be sufficient for you. He's given us many promises. Great and precious promises. In the Lord Jesus Christ. And the prayer is, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. We are to be forward-looking, looking forward to what God has promised. This is not a hope like the world hopes, where it's wishful thinking. There may not be a sound basis for their hope. We have a perfect, solid, absolute foundation for our hope. It's, it's based on, our hope is based on the promise of God. The promise of the one who never lies. The promise of the one who's always shown himself faithful to do as he has promised. Confident, eager expectation. Now, this is, he prays that we would have this by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, nothing for which Paul prays here is produced by self. But rather, it is produced in us as the Holy Spirit ministers to us through the Word of God. Paul has spoken about the gift of the Holy Spirit. In chapter 5, verse 5, he said, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. In chapter 8, verse 15, For you, do not, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We have received the Holy Spirit. The spirit of adoption. The spirit has been given to us. Paul's prayer is that it is that by the power of the Holy Spirit we may abound in 
hope, being filled with all joy and peace in believing. I put a question in the bulletin that asks, verse 13 is a prayer. Why should we pray this for ourselves and for one another? Looking at this prayer in verse 13, why should we pray this for ourselves and for one another? Caleb? Okay, so it's, it's easy not to, to have hope. It's easy not to rejoice. Um, well? So our witness grows through this. Others? Francis? Yes. When we're filled with this joy and peace, then then we are able to to give this grace that God has given to us. Great. Verse says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and in believing. And there are lots of different things that cause us to leak, <laughs> that cause us not to hold that joy and peace. And whether it's the circumstances of life, whether it's our battling against sin, all of those things will, will zap us of that and will take that from us. And yet we are to be continually asking to be filled with, with God's joy and his peace. Yes. We go through trials, and those trials t- test. Our, our faith and our faith does does waver. I think in growing in our faith, it, it's so helpful to look back at what God has done, the promises He has happened. Yes. I'm thinking how you come to the Old Testament, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am who delivered you out of the Red Sea. Like you look at what God has done for you, and that confirms our faith. Yes. Go ahead. The Lord's will that we would be um, closer and closer to the image of Christ. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's God, God's will that we would grow to be like, like, like Jesus. Go ahead. In the end of the verse, it talks about abounding in hope. And sometimes we're, sometimes feel like we're just hanging on. But God's will for us is to abound in the hope 
of, of all of his faithfulness fulfilling all of his promises for us. And, and as we are filled with his, his, his joy and his peace, that becomes more of a reality. Francis? I have a question too. I guess the question is like, oh, it's like it always comes to mind like how faithful can a lot of faithful things remain in the law. Yeah. So I guess the question is like why why be why would someone want to be more faithful? Okay, that's a good question. So when First Corinthians thirteen says that love is the one that will remain, not not faith and, and hope. Why isn't he praying here uh, for, for for love? I think because um, for, first of all, lo- love is more has to do with how we relate to other people, and this is more more fundamental. This is all internal here: with the hope, the faith, the joy, the peace. Um, so it's. He's he's taking the God he's applying the gospel to the, the life of our soul, and he has given a lot of instruction in love earlier earlier on, but if we are going to follow that instruction um, of 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 loving others, then we need our heart filled with this joy, this peace, this hope. Good question, and the reason why. Faith and hope will not remain what love does is because faith will become sight. We'll be together with the Lord. And all his promises will be fulfilled. Any other thoughts on this? Yeah? Well, this relates so much to what you're preaching in Jonah. It does. Ministry to the Gentiles, the gospel for the Gentiles. Yep. Just to, to wrap up here, the prayer that we just looked at in verse 13 addresses the inner life of the Christian, the life of the soul. The gospel truths of Romans are to be applied to the soul. And for this, we need the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's only after the gospel captures our heart in this way that the gospel will transform what issues forth from our heart. It is from this heart that Paul is, is praying for that the praise spoken of in the previous verses issues. It's from a heart that is filled with the Lord's joy, that is filled with his peace, that is filled with his hope that the praise that God has redeemed us to give to him, that praise flows forth from our heart, through our lips, out in the hearing of others for the glory of God with one voice. Well, any last questions or comments on anything at all uh, in the passage before uh, we we pray? Lillian. So, to praise God is to speak of how great He is. And so we have an unlimited number of reasons to praise God. Because He he is perfect in every respect. Anything else?
All right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are amazed by the gospel of your grace. We're amazed by your salvation. And Lord, as believers in your Son, uh, we, we thank you that we have been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places and we've been given your great and precious promises. Lord, we pray that you would remind us of how Christ has confirmed the promises that you gave to the patriarchs, the promises you gave in the Old Testament to Israel. We thank you that, that Christ came and died for our sins. He rose again just as was prophesied, just as was promised. And we thank you for including us by your grace and your redeemed people, people that you have redeemed in order to give you praise. Oh Lord, uh, grow us in praising you. Teach us to praise you not only when we're gathered together, but also wherever we go. Lord, may you be growing in us a heart of praise to you. We pray, Father, that you would um, enable us uh, to, as, as a church to glorify you with one voice. And we pray, Father, that you would enable us to take the gospel to the nations. Lord, that you would be praised by every tongue, tribe, and nation, as you have purposed. Lord, we pray that you would remind us of what we have studied throughout this coming week. And Lord, may you, the God of hope, fill each one here with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, each one may abound in hope. In Jesus' name, amen.